You're listening to The Preppy Podcast, and I'm your host, Patricia May Olson. I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch and listen to past episodes at thepreppypodcast.com, and be sure to follow at The Preppy Podcast and me, Patricia underscore May underscore Olson on Instagram. Okay, it is no secret that I love wine. I love learning about it. I love trying new wines. Uh, So I'm excited for today's interview with uh, one of the founders of Maker Wine. It's a canned wine company that has premium wine though. So I feel like when you hear canned wine, you think all these bad things that it can't be great, but they work with all these small producers to really capture the essence of the wine and make it taste just like it's from the bottle, but it's so much more accessible and easy and fun when it's in a can, honestly. Um, so I've I've had Maker Wine. I really love it, and I was thrilled to learn more about how they came up with the concept and um, the process of starting this company. I feel like it's different than a lot of the other people that i I've interviewed on this podcast. Um, so, you know, what's preppier than enjoying a delicious canned wine at the beach or on the patio? I just love that. So I'm excited to dive into today's episode. But before I do that, I want to let you know that they were kind enough to give a discount code if you want to try Maker Wine. So you can use code PREPPY20 and that'll give you a discount uh, for Maker Wine. All right. So why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do? Definitely. Hi, I'm Sarah Hoffman. I live in San Francisco, California, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Maker Wine, a premium canned wine company that highlights wines and small batch winemakers. I love what you guys are doing. I discovered it through Lexi of Lexi's Wine List. Um, And we're going to talk, you know, of course, all about Maker soon, but I like to start more towards the beginning. So I'm curious what you were like as a kid. Where did you grow up? Were you someone that was entrepreneurial or curious? Tell me about your childhood. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I grew up in Northern California, so about an hour south of San Francisco near Stanford University. Um, and I, you know, I feel like Every entrepreneur will look back and say that they were entrepreneurial. I don't know if I necessarily would say that about myself. I definitely was a very curious kid. I loved to read and would often spend, you know, lunchtime at school in a classroom reading and would definitely get lost in, um, you know, fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, um, and, you know, definitely someone that was always curious about the next thing. Uh and, you know, I grew up, um, was played tennis, junior competitive junior tennis for uh, most of middle and high school. So really traveling around the country playing tennis tournaments was also a big part of my childhood. I did have a lot of random passions and side hustle projects and, and Maker became one of those that turned into my business. But um, yeah, overall, was a def- definitely a, a curious kid and a voracious reader. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, 
feel like you can learn so much from books and even um, with sports too, that instills so much um, about learning and time management and working with others. So that's a great base. Yeah. And I had two younger brothers and we were all very competitive with each other. So we, we all pushed each other to be better and everything. <laughs> I love that. Now, when it came time for college then, where and what did you end up studying? I went to Princeton for my undergrad, and I was actually a neuroscience major. Uh, My parents are both doctors, and originally I was interested in potentially being a psychologist, definitely excited about science in general, and that was really the path that many people in my family had taken. Um, I, you know, worked in a lab for most summers. I saw myself being a scientist after school. And I think my senior year, uh, doing my senior thesis in a lab, I became a bit disillusioned with it. You know, one, like my lab had lost funding. I also felt like I didn't get to work super directly with people and, you know, get my creative juices flowing. And so I kind of took a hard turn after graduating, was supposed to do a fellowship at UCSF. I decided not to do it, moved back home and fell into my first marketing job in San Francisco as a, as a marketing intern at a small startup. So, uh, you know, definitely had a windy path to where I am today, but definitely glad that I sort of followed my gut in that instance. For sure. And I feel like, you know, obviously, of course, everything happens for a reason. But it's funny, I was just um, in Santa Barbara with Lexi, and we were talking with some winemakers. And it almost is a science, like part of it is this, I don't know, this, this glamorous career you think with wine, but then the other part of it, it's kind of a, a science experiment. So I feel like, you know, fast forward, you probably could apply some of what you've learned. <laughs> back then with what you do today, if you really think about it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, you know, actually how I first got into the food and beverage world was homebrewing. So brewing my own beer. And I think I was attracted to that because after leaving the science world, you know, homebrewing really is, like you said, chemistry, um, an art and a science, getting to create a recipe, but also, you know, um, these, you know, very predictable chemical processes that produce something exciting and wonderful if you do things correctly. So uh, yeah, I I definitely agree. And I also think that psychology, neuroscience, understanding the brain, understanding how people think is so important to marketing and to starting your own business and to knowing your customer, but also really applicable to any field, like knowing, knowing how you think, knowing how others think, knowing how to influence people, knowing how to speak to them. Um, you know, I think, I think my, uh, what the skill that I use most in my day-to-day job is, is writing. Um, and I'm really glad that I got a strong foundation of that in school. And that's really what I look forward to. And people that join our company is, are you a strong writer? Do you have a strong point of view? Can you articulate things well? And, um, really our job is storytelling. That's such a great point. And so interesting. 
So, okay, from neuroscience to marketing to, to home brewing, then <laughs> what was that? What's the gap in between all of that and then to starting Maker? Like, tell me the journey then um, that was kind of leading up to starting Maker. Yeah. So when I, when I started at that uh, marketing internship in 2011, I, you know, spent the next um, several years of my career building a marketing career in the technology sector. So worked for a couple different small startups, worked for um, a larger company called Eventbrite that does um, event ticketing for, for different, all types of events. And, you know, was with that company through the IPO, which was exciting. Um, and, you know, really getting to learn all facets of marketing from paid marketing and digital ads to brand marketing, to copywriting, to sales marketing. And so that that's really where I spent the bulk of my career. I ended up in 2016, actually... Uh, quitting my job and backpacking for one year in Southeast Asia. So that was, um, you know, a really fun, explorative time for me. And I had a a side project while I was traveling, which was to learn about and write about uh, the different types of beer I encountered in Southeast Asia. So I actually had a beer blog called The Hoppy Traveler. And I, you know, met with brewers all over the world and learned about how, you know, different uh, ingredients and countries and cultures influenced, you know, the food and beverage scene in those areas, basically. So that was, you probably get a glimpse into, you know, just my passion for learning about makers, for learning about how different regions and people, you know, impact um, food and bev. So that was a fun little side hustle project. And then in the, in the middle of that trip, I applied to business school at Stanford and, um, you know, was absolutely thrilled to, to get in and get to go there. And that's really where I met my co-founder, Kendra, and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> oh my gosh, how cool. I love, you know, you sound like me. I just love learning about people and their businesses. And then even with wine, you know, wine's kind of a a hobby of mine. I did my uh, WSCT level one, and I'm currently doing level two. And it's more just because I'm so interested in learning about, you know, like you said, the the makers behind each of these wines, and also how like terroir and all those things influence and, and history of certain places. There's so much that goes into that, um, which I think is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, you can see like our, our company is literally called Maker. So that's clearly <laughs> what motivated us. Um, and, you know, yeah, each when you have a, something like a nice glass of wine, it is such a moment in time and like little time capsule of that person, that place, that year, those conditions. And you're never going to really try that exact same moment in time again. I think that's really special and cool. Definitely. Okay. So you're in business school and you meet um, your partner in business there. And then what was kind of the idea behind Maker? Like, tell me about, you know, thinking about this as a business and sort of the, the first steps to getting it started and, you know, having an idea and actually making it something. I think that's what always people get hung up on is so many people have these great ideas, but actually doing it and, and figuring out a plan to achieve it is a completely different thing. 
Yeah. And I think when we first started working on this, I didn't necessarily plan for it to be a business. I, you know, throughout that time in San Francisco too, I always had a fun food and Bev sort of passion project. I used to host supper clubs in my, um, like paid ticketed supper clubs in my, uh, dining room with a friend who was a chef and, um, you know, Kendra and I took this course called the global dynamics of the wine industry at Stanford with Alyssa Rapp, who used to be the CEO of Bottle Notes and, you know, an amazing um, woman in wine and and now a maker investor. And we started to learn about the wine industry and how hard it was for small production wineries to get their products to market and how hard the mainstream industry can make it for the little guy to succeed. And at the same time, you know, we're living in Northern California. We are within an hour's drive of hundreds and hundreds of wineries. So, you know, we actually on the weekends would go get in my Prius and drive and check out all these local producers that, you know, maybe don't even have a website or don't even have a tasting room and getting to meet them and try their wines. And we're just kind of blown away by the the stories and the people and the, and the diversity of folks that we found. And we weren't really seeing those people reflected at Trader Joe's or, you know, at um, on, on retail shelves. And so the original idea was, you know, we didn't actually even start with cans. It was how do we support these small producers? Could we have like a marketplace of small producers? Well, you know, lots of people have tried that and it's kind of this sea of bottles and, it's super hard and really fragmented. Uh, and I think from my like craft beer industry background, I started to get excited about cans, particularly as we had seen some local craft breweries work with uh, mobile canning companies. There was one called the Can Van that was female run and they had a canning line, you know, in their truck and they'd roll up to breweries and can for them. And I just thought it would be so neat if you could do that for wine and tell a story of the small producer and, you know, help, help those producers sell directly to consumers online. I think um, a lot of these small winemakers are incredible winemakers, but don't necessarily have the expertise in online marketing and digital marketing. And that's what I had just spent, you know, the past uh, decade doing. So I felt like that was something that, that I could bring to these producers and help make their product just speak to a younger audience. That is so cool. And, you know, I think what's so different about you guys is the wine is really good. I think when people think <laughs> of canned wine, at first they're like, what? Like, I don't know. But you guys have really great wine. So I'm curious then, you know, you have this idea to to go and meet, meet with these makers and um, can their wines. Like, how did you reach out to them? How did you convince them about this idea? Because even, you know, it's still a newerish concept. There's still not a ton of canned wines out there compared to bottles. So tell me a little bit about that and like getting your first um, wines and, and canning them. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. I think, um, you know, there's a couple of things about the model that, that help us to have really great wine. I think one, you know, really selling direct to consumer first and, um, you know, we're, we can we can have nicer wine and charge a higher price point for those wines. Whereas, you know, in certain stores, they're sort of they're, they're, it's a race to the bottom in terms of what you have to price your cans at to be competitive. And 
at some point, that means you're going to get lower quality wine. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think another important decision we made is we, on the front of every can, it says, you know, I'm looking at a can right now. It says made by Nicole Walsh at Sarah Winery. And it has her name and her winery right on the front. And so, um, you know, we're not getting Nicole's like leftover wine or wine that she doesn't want to sell. This is wine that she's proud to put her name on that represents her as a winemaker uh, and that, you know, she was going to stand behind. And, um, and I think that has been a big piece of one, giving credit to the winemaker and then also ensuring that we're getting incredible wine that reflects, you know, really what they can do. Definitely. Um, and what was the second part of your question? Sorry. Um, convincing oh. the the winemakers and kind of going to them with this, you know, new idea. Yeah. How did, how did that work? And how did you pick the wines that you were partnering with then? Yeah. When we first started, we were looking for two white wines and a rosé, I believe. And we were excited about AVAs that maybe were less well-known to consumers, but that your Psalm friend or someone like Lexi would know that is an incredible, you know, up and coming AVA or one that's maybe undervalued. Um, so for example, with Pinot Noir, maybe instead of Sonoma, we're looking at Anderson Valley, you know, Monterey, Santa Barbara. So we kind of started by, you know, picking a few regions that we were excited about highlighting for specific varietals. And then um, really getting to know a lot of the winemakers there. I think one thing you learn about the industry is that it's super small, especially when you're like in a micro region like that. Um, you get to know, and we really wanted to highlight diverse voices in wine. And so that really makes the world even smaller. <laughs> and, you know, just important for us is the wine quality is the person and the story behind what they're doing. And that, that speaks to us. So it's really an art and a science back to that theme of, you know, like with Chris Christensen, he did our first rosé and he's now, he's, we're now in our fourth vintage with Chris and he does um, our sparkling wines, which are, have always been, you know, our top sellers. Uh, we were really excited about him and his story. And when we first pitched him, you know, he said no. <laughs> so it definitely wasn't uh, easy to start. And I think a lot of people, especially, you know, with an MBA or um, from a tech background, want to get into wine and, and maybe, maybe don't always have the best intentions. And so we really had to prove ourselves that we were there for the makers. And I think our approach and um, showing that over time has been one of the things that I'm most proud of. We eventually got Chris to say yes. And, you know, we have like two or three X the amount of wine that we've done with him every year. And so we started off being a little side project and now we're a really meaningful part of a lot of these wineries businesses. And we truly are, you know, supporting them and helping them to grow their own businesses too, which, which is pretty neat. I think that's so cool. And like you said, even some of the the smaller guys that no one might know about unless you're in the industry or if you're local, I think it's great that you're bringing that to a national level. So, you know, me in Philadelphia, I can get a little bit of that and try it and enjoy it. Um, 
for other people listening then who, you know, might not be as familiar with Maker as I am because I've had it <laughs> many of times, um, what would you tell them makes Maker unique or, or kind of what, how would you describe your business as it is today? Yeah, um, I would say that we are award-winning wine by diverse producers. I think the can is really secondary. Um, we pick, you know, incredible award-winning wines that, um, you know, are, you, you would also find in the bottles of these producers, not dumbed down for the can, not changed for the can. Um, and we also work with people and vineyards that we're really proud of. Um, we, we take sustainability really seriously, not just from the packaging perspective with the can, but all the way through to the growing practices of the producers that we work with, um, you know, these high quality small producers care deeply about doing right by their wines and the earth. We also um, can only dry wines, so no added sugar, no residual sugar. Um, so it's also a, uh, you know, lower sugar, lower um, calorie option as well. Excellent. Now, I'm curious, how did you get the word out when you first launched to, you know, to customers and have people buy your product? And then, you know, what's your form of marketing today that you think works best? Yeah, so when we first started the company, it was actually in early 2020, right as the pandemic was hitting. Um, and we had a pretty unique product in that we were, you know, shipping direct to consumer first with cans, which not a lot of companies were or are doing. Um, and I think it's an incredible product for like a direct to consumer type product because incredibly space efficient and the same amount of wine in cans weighs less than half that in bottles. So um, in terms of actually being able to ship wine economically, cans make a lot of sense. Um, but we started working with organizations, groups, companies, businesses, that were during stay at home at the time and working with them to do virtual wine tastings. And our, our product was set up pretty perfectly for that because as you probably saw from Lexi's wine list um, events, you know, you can, you can open three cans um, which you can't really do with bottles. So <laughs> we had this awesome built in single serving way to taste wines at home. And that's actually how we first met Lexi is we brought on this, you know, mighty crew of wine educators that would get on a Zoom and talk through the wines and the stories. And so really you were getting a wine tasting, but you were also getting kind of a maker commercial and learning about these makers and, and why they're special and starting to fall in love with our company, hopefully. And that's how a lot of people found us in the very beginning when we had no marketing budget. Um, and I, I still think it's an amazing way people find us today. We do work with a lot of businesses still today and we do wine gifts and company gifts. A lot of those happen in Q4. But um, I would say the number one way that we grow is, as I like to say, like through cans and hands. <laughs> because <laughs> as you said, I mean, uh, the differentiator is really in the quality. And if you're expecting a crappy canned wine and, and you have a sip of this, you, you kind of get it. And so um, you know, right now we're building out like our maker partner and influencer program and uh, affiliate program. If you're interested in being an affiliate, you know, check out our Instagram and, and you can apply to be one. But 
seeing people that you trust try the wine for the first time and authentically, you know, rave about it is, um, I think always going to be how we're going to grow because, um, people don't trust, you know, their own opinions when it comes to wine, wine is confusing. Wine can be tough to figure out what you like and what you don't. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think that really just letting the quality speak for itself and finding people that believe in what we're doing. We're never going to have the biggest marketing budget, you know, we're, we're never going to have like all the the celebrity endorsements, but we're authentically making the winemaker, the star. And when people try it and they see it, I think they get it. And, um, that's sort of the fun part. I love that. And I think it's so smart, you know, partnering with people in the industry that are experts, like you said, Lexi, and I feel like a lot of businesses could apply that in different industries to help get the word out, you know, whether you're a fashion designer and partnering maybe with some stylist and doing some events with them and, you know, tapping into their clientele. It's a great, you know, way to market and that's relatively affordable, I would say. Yeah. And, and, you know, I like to think about who is your audience and where do they hang out as a marketer, sort of as a, you know, marketing one-on-one of like our audience tends to be, you know, 35 plus women and often new moms. Um, and often I think the industry that you're in can be crowded with that message. So not just focusing on people in wine, but you know, what are other groups and adjacent affinity categories that speak to that audience? Is it, you know, mom groups? Is it outdoor enthusiasts? Is it, you know, health and fitness folks that want like a lower sugar alcohol option or they want, you know, to make sure that the wine they're drinking is vegan? Um, and so I try to all, always, you know, um, think about, yeah, those other categories that can apply to my category and also just make sure you're talking to your customers all the time. I think that's another big one that, you know, a lot of founders struggle with, especially as they grow is that at the beginning, you know, you're answering all the support emails, you're answering all the Instagram inquiries. Mm -hmm. And as you grow and you have more layers of people to, to help you do that, you get further and further from who the customer is and, and what they want. So I think always making sure that you as a business owner are, are talking to your customers every week is maybe sounds simple, but is, uh, I think almost like a secret cheat code to the answers you need to run your business. Certainly. Now, you know, speaking of challenges, I'm curious, what is your greatest challenge? Would you say? I would say, my like real answer to this would be um, I've o- I'm always someone that's been driven by uh, passion and excitement. And, like I've always I've always thought that your job should be something you're inherently extremely excited and passionate about. Mm-hmm. I would say it was only starting maker and now being you know four years in, where even if your job is your passion and you love it, you're going to hit a wall and be burnt out at some point. Um, And it maybe takes you as the business owner longer than most people. But I think that you really have to build in breaks for yourself and you have to build in like things that you love doing and ways that you can continually be re-inspired by what you're doing. Um, And I think that's the biggest challenge that like I personally face. Um, 
you know, there's a new business challenge every couple months and I'm happy to chat about that. But I think, I think like founder or business owner burnout, especially when you love something can be really tough because it can also crush, you know, like your, if your hobby becomes your job and then you get burnout from your job, it can kind of suck the fun out of what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really great point. I feel like I talk this podcast a lot about like investing in yourself, going to to networking events or conferences to learn and feel re-energized or, um, you know, going on a vacation for inspiration or getting a group of other entrepreneurs together so you guys can sort of bounce ideas or commiserate or, or just understand each other even, I think is so helpful. Yeah, it's probably different for everyone. Like for me, I realize that it's like going to the cannings and being with the winemakers or talking to our customers, like those two things, if I'm ever like in a rut or like sick of thinking about something, those two things always uh, get me excited and like give you this like sort of rush of energy to, to keep going. So I think it's like finding whatever that is for your business and making sure you, you build that into your day to day so that you are continually inspired by what you're doing. Because if you aren't, then no one's going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to motivate others if you're uninspired. Yeah. What about the flip side to that then? Like you said, you know, you love meeting with the winemakers or uh, talking with customers, but what's been like a pinch me moment in terms of business so far? I think. Like, was it getting that winemaker that, you know, turned you down at first and now you've had four successful runs with or um, like a, a, press feature or maybe just, you know, someone coming up to you and saying that they've tried maker and love it. Yeah. I think that the moments that come to mind are the ones that sort of happen in real life because, you know, we all spend so much of our lives behind the computer. And then I spent my career before this in software. And so I, you know, I still remember the first time I held the first maker can, it was like, wow, like we created this thing that is now a product people can drink. Like that's wild. You know, it's just like this tangible physical thing. I remember when we worked with Alice Sutro, like six months into the business to do the most premium wine, expensive wine that's ever been put in a can. It was a, um, you know, Alexander Valley single vineyard um, Cabernet Sauvignon that, you know, she sells for, $65, $75 a bottle is a $15 can, I believe. Um, And just seeing this like, you know, big, bold, aged Alexander Valley cab from this incredible female producer in a can and to have her be stoked about it and to pour it for our, you know, dads or wine snob friends and have them be like, wow, this is serious wine. Uh, and, you know, I think when we started the business, we didn't necessarily even know that it would go in that direction and that we would be putting such high quality wines in cans. Um, and then I think more recently, now that we have gone into wholesale, that's been interesting because, you know, selling selling maker online to sort of this distributed can club base all over the U.S., you know, to starting to see maker in my corner store to see it at the Warriors stadium, you know, that I grew up going to to Warriors games to see it um, at Palisades ski mountain and have friends send me photos of them skiing with maker that has, has felt 
really different now that we're starting to really build our brand out in the real world and, and have it um, show up when you least expect it. It's a little surreal still for me. That is so cool that, you know, now you're in wholesale accounts too. Um, and like you said, seeing them at ski resorts or at games, I feel like that has to be definitely a pinch me moment. <laughs> yeah. And of course I'm like a, I'm like a stage mom or something. I'm like making sure they're always the right temperature if I see them out in the world, or I'm like asking why they haven't restocked. Like it's, it's anxiety inducing too, but it's really, it's really exciting. And, um, we just have a super loyal fanatic can club crew that I hear from every day and they'll send me photos on our texting line. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it makes it real. That's so fun. Now, who would you say inspires you? I, I mean, maybe just cause it's almost mother's day, but I'm definitely inspired by my mom. She is a doctor and an incredible doctor in the Bay Area. Uh, And I think she really made me want to be an entrepreneur because, you know, she's a doctor, but she she owns her own small business and she cares deeply about her patients. And she's built this, um, you know, way to have an incredible, flexible lifestyle, but also really help people and make a one on one difference in people's lives. Um, and then I guess I would also say like a lot of our winemaker partners were, you know, we are building something and we have incredible investors and, you know, teammates behind us. Most of the folks that we work with are like one or two woman or man shows. I mean, there, you probably saw and, and meeting some of the small producers that, that Lexi's introduced you to, but they're not only making the wine, but they're running their own business and they're doing the PR and they're trying to figure out how to sell to restaurants and distributors. And, you know, they're doing that on like razor thin margins and they really care about spending the extra money to buy organically farmed or, you know, to do all these things that the end consumer may not even know about. And they're really doing it the right way. You know, someone that comes to mind is Tara Bajale. She's our latest um, maker partner collab and she just released to natural wines with Maker, an orange Vermentino, and a carbonic Sangiovese. Um, And those are just, you know, like exceptional, uh, interesting, exciting wines. I don't think either of those wines have ever been put in a can before. Uh, And just watching her go from interviews to, you know, hauling things in the cellar to like, you know, managing canning to sending out her club shipments by hand. Um, it's just pretty incredible, like the amount of passion and hard work that they have to have. And it, it definitely makes, gives me the extra weight of responsibility of wanting to tell their stories the right way. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I was out there in Santa Barbara just the other week, it's true. They wear so many hats and, mm-hmm. um, like you have to be, like I said, sort of a, a scientist and then also um, be out there actually picking the grapes and tending to them and um, then the marketing hat and everything in between. It's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Now, um, what's a tip you have regarding business or maybe even like a tool that you rely on or, or a place you go for business advice? Yeah, whenever... 
I get stuck. I feel like it's usually because I'm in my own little mind prison (laughs) and I try to remember that, you know, most problems have been solved by someone before. (laughs) And, uh, I really think that like talking to other founders and helping other founders and, you know, building those relationships is really helpful. Whenever I, you know, reach out to three founders to talk about something, whether it's marketing or what they're seeing on paid ads or, you know, how their partnerships are going. I always learn a couple of things that I can try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really great place to go for inspiration. And I think another tip has just been both in starting the business and in trying to get to like the next phase of growth in the business is just like making sure you're taking big swings. I think a lot of times you can get caught up in the day-to-day of running your business and, you know, it's like, that's only going to move the needle incrementally. If you're not taking big shots, you're not gonna, um, you know, have big wins. And so I think that's been something I've seen really impact the business this year is, you know, sending that cold email to reach out to, you know, XYZ founder that you're excited about, or, you know, investing in a big marketing test, um, pitching Whole Foods, like whatever it is, uh, making sure you're creating the time and space to, to think outside your box and almost have like a testing bucket of ideas. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I'm curious, and I know this might be a hard question, but what is your favorite wine currently on your site? And then what would you say is currently like a customer favorite? I mean, I obviously fall in love with like every wine <laughs> as we release it. And I'm not the one choosing the wines, interestingly. I mean, I we all obviously are picking the wines, but, um, you know, I am not a sommelier. I don't have a wine industry background it's not like wine Sarah's like wine Sarah likes.com. Um, we use our makers and the incredible roster of wine uh, educators and makers that we work with to help us blind taste samples and, and blind rate them. And then we look at those and we also, you know, think about what's going to work well in a can and also look at the stories of the winemaker partners. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, most recently, I've fallen in love with Tara's wines, which is why I mentioned her. The Carbonic Red um, is a really light, chillable, juicy red. I think it's perfect for summer. We've been kind of known for our premium reds, big, bold reds, Pinot Noir, Cabernet, um, but doing a really light, Beaujolais, juicy style, I think works so well in a can. And it's a natural wine. It's unfined and filtered, so it's got a little bit of a haze. It's just like such a anytime wine. You can have it like with pizza or pasta. You can have it, you know, chilled by itself out on the porch. It's so fun. (laughs) And it's one of those, one of our limited edition wines. Um, And it's just been really exciting to see the, the reaction to that one. I would say our customers' favorite wines, um, we, the natural wine has been really popular. We just released them a few weeks ago. So we're still sort of getting those out to everyone, but the all time favorites have been our Anderson Valley Pinot Noir, just, you know, really beautiful, classic food friendly, 
you know, French inspired um, Pinot from the amazing female led Hanley Sellers mm-hmm. uh, and our sparkling Sauvignon Blanc from Chris. It is um, the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Really light, bubbly, fresh, acidic, citrus, goes with everything, can drink it out of the can, out of a glass. Um, it's it's almost like a, I like to call it the white claw killer <laughs> because it satisfies that, you know, light, zippy, um, sessionable sort of drink, but it's super high quality, 100% Sauvignon Blanc. Um, you almost would think it's like a wine spritz or something because it's so light and bright, but, uh, it's, it's the adult way to white claw. I love that. The carbonic red, I've heard great things about and It's on my list to get next for sure. Yeah, definitely would, would encourage you to do that. It's one of our limited edition wines. So with those, you know, we tend to have them for a season, um, they're often club only or start club only. And then we'll, we'll do like limited drops to non-club, but, um, those go fast because they're, yeah, they're limited single vineyard, like organically farmed, really special, true small production wines. So real quick too, then, um, the club, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that works for anyone interested? Definitely. I mean, I think the main focus of my job is building out the can club crew. So we have a can club every three months, you get 12 different cans um, and you can customize that. So you could do 12 Pinot Noir, you could do one of every can that we offer, you could mix and match. Um, And when you get the cans, you'll often get like a little gift. Like this quarter, we're doing uh, orange wine magnets and we have like collateral about the orange wine and tasting and pairing notes. Um, and we also do meet the winemaker Zooms and events with our Can Club crew. So actually on Thursday, we're doing a tasting of the new natural wines with Tara. Um, and we're just trying to build a community of people that are excited to learn about small production wine that are excited to make wine more approachable and fun and to really hopefully help them discover all these amazing, you know, makers and people in their, in their backyard or across the country or wherever they happen to be. Very cool. Now, since this is the Preppy podcast, I always ask everyone, what does Preppy mean to you? So how would you describe it? And personally, I think having a nice uh, can of wine and enjoying a beautiful day, <laughs> like uh, the Preppy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't know if I've used the word Preppy in a while, but I guess I guess to me, um, if I think about in the wine context, it's like classic, elegant, doesn't go out of style. Um, You know, our can colors go well with a preppy outfit. I don't know. (laughs) I love that. No, that's a perfect answer. Um, Now, what's next for you? Any sneak peeks or anything you're working on that you can share with everyone listening? Yeah, I mean, we have some exciting wines coming up. Um, we are about to can a Cabernet next month. Um, I a passion, a little side project of mine right now has been to potentially like category expand a bit and go into our first wine, like high quality wine spritz. Potentially oh. have that be an exciting collab. I think um, with summer coming up and with us expanding 
offline for the first time, we're getting into the world of, you know, events and amazing partnerships. Um, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of maker weddings this summer. So I think really just navigating that new world, continuing to bring incredible wines to market. Um, and it's been really fun to just learn about and be a part of now this natural wine and winemaker community. Um, and just to see the passion of the winemakers that we're working with and to continue to expand the types of wines that, that we're bringing to the crew. That's so exciting. I can't wait for this upcoming spritz. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) I heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) So my final question is, where can people find you? Let them know, you know, the maker website, the social media handles, all of that so they can follow along and shop your amazing wines. Yeah, our website is makerwine.com. And our Instagram and TikTok is at makerwine, M-A-K-E-R. W-I-N-E. So really easy to find. Lexi of Lexi's Wine List actually runs our social media accounts. So if, um, you know, check her out as well, but she's, she'll be the one introducing a lot of our wonderful wines. And if you want to join the can club, you can go to makerwine.com slash clubs, C-L-U-B-S. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This was so much fun learning about Maker. I feel like I need to go and have one of your cans that's chilling in my fridge right now. I have a white in there. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Patricia. Yeah, what are your favorite makers? <laughs> oh, that. So I actually had the wine dinner um, with, I'm going to butcher the name, two Cayman's Dream. Oh, nice. The, nice the you yeah. with. Um, so that was fun just because I love, you know, putting a name to a face. But I, I don't think I've had a bad canned wine from you guys. So awesome. that's say a lot. <laughs> for spreading the word. It means a lot. We're still, you know, new and small. And it's um, every person you tell about Maker makes a big difference. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. Thank you.